0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Business Finance Friday webinar. I'm Jackie Cameron, and with me, I've got Brett Duncan from Standard Bank, and Magnus Haystack, a financial advisor, will join us shortly. But let's start. Uh, Brett, perhaps you could just tell us um, you were one of the pioneers of uh, trading in global stocks from South Africa. Perhaps you could just sketch what uh, Standard Bank does for South Africans who want to trade globally.
1: Hi. Oh yeah, thanks, Jacks. Um, so we. Yeah, we identified sort of uh, uh, post-global financial crisis, there was a little bit of a a shift. Uh, I mean, I would like to say that we were the pioneers, but there were people in the market quite far in advance of us. Uh, But I think by sort of 2010, it had become quite obvious that the demand for offshore assets and direct offshore investing by South Africans was, uh, you know, really starting to take off so uh, in 2012 we launched uh, an offshore trading platform Uh, we cover 30 odd international exchanges Uh, we offer stocks and etfs about 14 and a half thousand of them Uh, we do cfds currency futures or currency futures uh, spot currency trading so we offer the whole gamut of, of in the offshore space i think it's worth noting though that as much as we have this huge amount of choice you'd be surprised that most people actually trade in you know, 40 or 50 different names offshore, and would be all the the names that you guys would be very very familiar with. You know, the Fang stocks uh, and a couple of double ETFs. That would be where we see most of the action going. Uh, there is a lot of uh, uh, choice, but most clients tend to stick to the big brands.
0: Okay, that's interesting. And welcome, Magnus. Um, and as most people who uh, come to our webinars know, Magnus is a financial advisor. He's also a former financial journalist, uh, award-winning personal finance personal finance journalist and book author. And uh, he started Brenthurst Wealth Management, which has about 8 billion Rand's worth of assets under management, Magnus? Maybe more every week?
2: Yeah, Good afternoon, Jackie. Thanks for that. Uh, A little bit more. uh, The markets have been kind to us.
0: Great. I think we might have lost you, Magnus. Um, Yeah, the sound is gone. So, uh, Britt, maybe you can take the first question. So um, it's from James and he wants to know, day trading, is it a real work from home opportunity? What do you think about day trading as as an alternative to earning a salary?
1: Okay, I'll give it to you from from where I am. I mean, there are some. We have a lot of day traders that that do uh, use our platforms. Look, day trading is not easy, especially if you're going to use it as your sole form of income. Um, so make sure that if you're going to start day trading, a that you've got some experience, b that you've got uh, fairly deep pockets so that you can tide yourself through. Um, so it is an alternative, but it's you know you'll tend to make your money in in short bursts, and then you can also lose quite a lot of money. So it's not something that I really recommend is someone just give up their day job and start day trading. Uh, if you enjoy uh, speculating, if you enjoy investing, uh, take it up on the sideline and there's no reason why you need to give up your day job. And then if over time you find yourself making, you know, enough money that you can trade out your day job, fair enough. Uh, but, you know, it is a, it is it is particularly difficult. I would say if uh, um, 100 people come into the market um, and they start day trading, probably only 10 or 20 of them, I think, uh, would be able to sustain themselves long term in that process. For the, for the vast majority, it's actually better to supplement your income through longer term investing and a little bit of speculating if you enjoy it. Uh, but day trading is, is difficult and it also takes time and patience.
0: And do you have any data to to indicate how your clients do in terms of uh, the, the the ones who invest for the longer term? you know can you see how the, well, how their returns are doing
1: yeah so we 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 do have a look at it, and when what we tend to find is that, uh, that there is a skewing, so clients that invest for the the three to five year term. On, on average, do far better than those that do very active short-term trading. Not to say that the, the short-term traders can't make money, but generally, uh, you know, the, the more actively you trade, the more risk you're taking on. Uh, and obviously, the more fees that you're paying because you're constantly, you know, crossing spreads, paying brokerage. So there's definitely evidence, uh, anecdotal evidence and evidence that we can see that longer-term investing, the probability uh, of making money is still far higher than than short-term investing.
0: Thank you. And then here's a, a question from Fred. Is now a good or a bad time to invest offshore? So uh, I imagine he's looking at the, the the stocks in the U.S. and thinking, "Gee, should I should I get in now or should I wait?"
1: So yeah, so the, the, there's two. I'll answer it in two ways. Um, uh, actually, a financial planner once said this to me, which I think is a great statement. And I, I posed the statement, "When's the right time to take money offshore?" And he said, "When you have some." <laughs> so <laughs> I think. I think there is always a case for investing offshore, and I think, as a South African, you should look to try and have you know half of your investable cash offshore so you know if you're under that, I don't think it's a case of timing the market. I think it's a case of doing it incrementally. The question is is now a good time to be going headlong into stocks offshore uh, and I think that's probably more the question that's being asked uh so, I would be a little bit nervous about diving into into uh, equities at the moment, especially into sort of the highly valued uh, tech stocks um, So, I might be a little bit patient we 've had an unbelievable year in terms of you know uh, the s p five hundred starting off at kind of three and three and a half thousand going all the way back to two thousand five hundred now back uh, above its its starting point. so I would be cautious about rushing into the market now, but i wouldn 't be cautious about taking some cash offshore and getting ready for if there's another opportunity in, in the markets in the coming months.
0: Thank you. And then so related to that, Henk wants to know, will the FANG continue to do well? So when you talk about tech stocks, are you speaking specifically about those stocks or tech stocks in general? Perhaps you could just elaborate a bit on the FANGs.
1: Yeah. So look, I mean, you're looking at, uh, depending on where you're looking at the FANGs, uh, you know, you've got your, um, your Apple's kind of in the 20 ps, you, you know, you've got your uh, Facebooks and, and that in the in and the Amazons in the 100 ps. So, I mean, those are really priced for success. So I think some of the more conservative fangs, and I mean even Apple's been been under pressure, are probably uh, less risky. I think tech as a whole is is priced for success at the moment. Um, So I do think longer term they will do exceptionally well. So if you'd bought tech at the beginning of the early 2000s and you'd sat with it, right, you would have gone through a couple of iterations. But over the long term, they will grow into these valuations. But in the very short term, if you're taking a view, well, do I think, uh, you know, Tesla is going to go up, you know four year end, I would say yeah, you're taking your chances, right? So I think it's you're taking it with a large degree of risk. I mean, the, the Nasdaq has uh, gone up almost 100% since its March, March lows. So you're coming in at the at the high end. So with that view in mind, you need to say, well, then I'm taking it with a five or 10 year view. Uh, you know, if you'd come in in March, then you could have been a bit more speculative because you're saying, well, you know, it's come off off the well. But I am quite cautious of them. Uh, I've been uh, reducing my exposure to, to tech over the last couple of
2: months.
0: Great. Thank you. And welcome back, Magnus. Uh, sorry that we lost you there. So…
2: Well, um, well that, that little interruption brought you with the compliments of ESCOM. Okay. <laughs> a <bit>
0: of <laughs> 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 yeah, Annoying. So, um, and, and perhaps we can move on to uh, you started telling us, Magnus, about Brenthurst and that your, your, the assets under management have grown. Is that because most of your clients are going for the offshore markets?
2: Well, there's two parts to it. Uh, um, our sophisticated and high net worth clients have been increasingly externalising the assets or going for offshore assets. And we've also been avoiding the local equity market, which has saved us a lot of pain and anger and so we haven't had the pull down of those assets and we've we've been following a high income uh, local exposure of income and bonds which have been remarkably good and we've been looking for the growth in the the tech the biotechnology healthcare and 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 global stocks which has been a very nice formula and uh, so our assets have grown very very nicely and we've had also new inflows
0: Right. And Magnus, the questions are coming in for you thick and fast. I think some are quite complicated questions that you might, that somebody might need to sort of sit down with you on those. But uh, Selwyn wants to ask, Magnus, what are your thoughts about cashing in a provident fund, paying the tax and moving the cash offshore? That's part A of his question.
2: You know, a lot of people are considering that and we get that question a lot. And we have done it in the past quite successfully where someone intends to end up overseas but it depends on your objective and if you're prepared to pay the risk. If you say you're cutting your ties with South Africa and you need that money to go and set up a house or a business somewhere else, it, it, it's worth doing the numbers. In most cases, we will say, you know, there's a huge tax penalty. Maybe there are other things that we can do. Or if you're over 55, we can reverse it into a living annuity and giving you the exposure in the living annuity without having to pay all the taxes up front. But it is a difficult question, and sometimes you have to do fairly complicated actuarial calculations as to under what conditions will that be to your advantage or not. We have cases where people have done that, paid the taxes, and we've sat around the table and cried with them. And then you, five years later, they've said, geez, my money's offshore. I don't have to pay tax again, and it's still it's out well. But the risk is you could get it wrong. You can move your money out of the SA market, pay the taxes, and then the rand strengthens and you still lose even more money on the other side. So not an easy decision and also not an easy calculation. But some people are doing it. They need the cash.
0: OK, thank you for that answer. Uh, shaman has a question here brett maybe you would like to take this one he wants to know about the currency issues when you uh trade or invest offshore should you go for the dollar or the euro how do you make that decision
1: yeah so i mean look at the end of the day uh most of our clients will go dollar uh because that is the base currency pretty much for, for the globe right uh once you are in dollar it's fairly easy to then take exposure to uh, you know, non, not, non-dollar-based assets and then you'll get some dollar hedge out of that. My advice for anyone starting off is start off uh, with dollar because that's predominantly where most of the liquidity is. Uh, and then over time, if you want to then have a basket, you know, we do offer the ability to have uh, accounts also in euro and pound. But practically 90% of what we do is in dollars,
2: even north of 90%.
0: What do you think, Magnus? Uh, What's your view on that?
2: Yeah, we agree. We always get people coming and ask us uh, about our views on the currencies. And it's still a a dollar denominated world. Unless you start, uh, a euro is also fairly attractive, but you don't have the same range of investment opportunities that you have in the US. So we tend to say, look, stick to dollars. And unless you specifically are building assets in a certain currency like the euro or pound sterling or to a lesser extent maybe you know the, the Australian dollar but, but uh, you, uh, we, we found over time despite the ups and the downs of the dollars that's not it's been a fairly good strategy to follow.
0: And uh, you've got clients in Mauritius what kind of currency do they go into Mauritius in?
2: What in Mauritius you have multi-currencies the, the Mauritian currency is a small currency and that does pose a problem at times so people can open their accounts in mauritius and select from any currency in the world they don't have foreign exchange in the country but having said that with the covered lockdown and the fact that they so reliant on tourism to bring in the dollars every year and every month there's been a bit of a shortage of dollars so you you have your euro your rupees be- there was a delay in getting it converted back into dollars or pounds. But generally, you know, I have an account in Mauritius and it's in dollars. And you operate in dollars, you just do the conversion. And it kind of works in your favor because the dollar has been rising against the Mauritian currency as well.
0: Okay, interesting. Now, the hot topic of gold, Alan wants to know. Is bullion overheated right now? Why did Warren Buffett go against his own long-term outlook and start buying gold? Maybe that's gold miners. Brett, do you have a, a comment on that?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I can't comment on why uh, Buffett did what he did. Uh, look, I, I like gold as, a, as, a, as, a, as an alternative to the dollar. I think in terms of a, a currency basket, you know, having a 5% 5 or 10% weighting in gold uh, is, is great. I mean, gold over the long term has, gives you, you know, rand hedge and dollar hedge. Uh, I think this $2,000 level has been a very important one for for it to to breach. Uh, and I think, you know, if the if the printing presses keep going globally, uh, I think that the, the the gold price will remain strong. So I think the case for gold is out there. Uh, I'm not a die-hard gold bull in that I'd, you know, go and sell everything and put Krugerrands under the bed. I think that there are lots of mechanisms by which you can get exposure to gold via ETFs, etc. But it would be a waiting. But I would still be, you know, more heavily in.
0: Oh, I think we might have lost Brett now. Magnus, are you still with us?
2: I'm still with you. Uh, I've got I've got power, but I see Brett is back. But I agree with Brett that gold has been a very nice diversification. In fact, from a South African perspective, it's been a superb. Uh, investment whether it's Kruger or gold ETFs or even gold shares and you recall about a year ago our mutual wanted to close its gold fund and there was a massive outcry from the gold bulls and they started writing letters to uh, editors and, and put pressure on our mutual and that fund has given you I think a hundred percent in the last year so I think uh, if you play the market correctly and 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 10 15 percent or it's not a bad place to park some money. I do like gold. And the fact that Warren Buffett has, after so many decades of not putting money into gold, has started buying gold miners, indicates something. And I suspect if you read uh, uh, widely, there's a... The the, the the gold bulls will tell you that the, the, the world is running out of gold to mine. And they come with his analysis that the gold miners will start producing less and less and less over time. All the gold in the world has been found or the major ones. And uh, by buying the physical gold, you're going to do very well over time. And I think there's merit in that argument. So well, I like gold. We've been putting gold into our portfolios and so far they've done very nicely.
0: So when you say put it into your portfolio, do you mean uh, gold mining stocks or ETFs or could you be more specific about how you could invest in gold?
2: On the offshore platforms that we use we would be buying the funds themselves the the 91 gold fund or the blackrock gold fund that fund invests in gold shares uh, around the world and mostly north american and south american gold mines with a very small exposure to south africa so you're buying gold stocks um uh, globally but um the 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 fund managers were We'll be buying the barracks in the new and and wherever they find the gold. So there's a small exposure to to, to Subbania, and that's been a very nice place to be the last couple of months. In fact, the last couple of years.
0: Thank you, Britt. Just getting back to you on gold. How can your uh, how can people invest in gold through your platform? Or what's the so, most popular way?
1: Well, I think it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a spread of really. I mean, they can go in uh, and buy um, gold ETFs. That seems to be very, very popular. I mean, there's actually a couple of nice gold ETFs listed here in South Africa, so they don't even need to go offshore. Uh, so there's a nice one issued by ABSA, the GLD, and then there's one by a company called One Invest, uh, which is the ETF Gold. So those have grown a lot in popularity in the domestic market uh internationally uh the guys will obviously go and pick up the the individual stocks and then the gold etfs that we have available on the the platform i would say that the split is probably about 50% clients going for for physical and 50% going for for the miners uh people seem to have over the last few years uh gravitated more towards the the the, the physical side from what i've seen at least amongst our client base
0: That's interesting because um, Magnus has a question from David who wants to know about Krugerands and says, Magnus, uh, what do you think about Rands and how do you see the outlook for gold going forward?
2: Well, Krugerands, of course, is very popular, especially amongst uh, older investors. um, In other words, my peers, they kind of like the physicality of gold, but it starts becoming a problem where you store your gold. You've got a couple you can... You know, put them in your in your in your vault at home. But if you start dealing in the hundreds and the two hundreds, um, and some people have that, they they need to find a place to store it. And there are places in South Africa, the vault companies and the Knox companies, they will store your gold. But it has been a great investment, um returning about fifteen percent per annum, uh, due to the fact that the gold price has gone up, the rand's gone down, and it's actually done the best out of most South African asset classes. And I raised the issue once or twice. Why can you not put some of your pension money into gold or physical gold if you choose to do so, like in Australia? And there's been a deathly silence from the investment industry. Why can't I put some gold? We used to be the primary producer in the world, but you can't buy physical gold and put it into your portfolio. The fund manager can buy the ETFs but a lot of people would like to buy some physical gold in their pension funds.
0: And why can't they? What do you think the background is for that or the underlying reason?
2: I think it's the practicality about it all and, uh, and the way you know, it's just uh, you know very difficult for, you know, where do you store the gold and insurance costs and so on. But in reality, it's been a very nice investment. Uh, 15% per year over, five, over 15 years has been very good.
0: Brett, uh, Robert Sun wants to know, can he deal in shares listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange?
1: He can indeed. Yeah. So it is available on the platform.
0: Okay. And then uh, Ian wants to know about how easy is it to go through the South African Revenue Service and the Reserve Bank to open an account that allows you to trade internationally?
1: So in terms of in terms of uh, in your personal name, it's exceptionally easy nowadays. So if you're doing the million Rand single discretionary allowance per year, it's it's literally you 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 set up an account with uh, the likes of uh, well through Centre Bank through our shift application. Uh, you once you signed on there, you transfer cash into it. You externalise the cash. It goes straight into our, our platform, known as Web Trader, and you know within within two days you you're up and running. So in terms of going over and above the million, then you have to get uh, you know, uh, clearance uh, from SARS. That can take a little bit of time depending on, you know, if your, your tax is in good order and all the rest of it. But for the bulk of clients that are, that are moving, you know, less than a million rand a year, it's exceptionally easy.
0: What do you think, Magnus? Is it a fairly, a fairly easy process to go offshore?
2: Yeah, I know. As, as Brett was saying, most large companies today have their own forex licence like ourselves. Under a million, you send the money, fill in a couple of forms. Over a million, up to 10, a bit more PT, and probably uh, the chance of an audit by SARS. You know, then they do ask, where do you get the money and, and approve that you sold a property or a business or savings. But generally, after a week or two, unless there is an audit, you get the permission and you move the money. Once it's gone, you can do with the money what you like. You just have to report back every year to SARS What you did with the money whether you bought a house or traded shares and if there are profits you have to declare it but i think it's been a great step in the in the sort of normalization of our financial connections to the rest of the world you can live here in south africa and you can trade anywhere in the world and you can profit from anything happening anywhere in the world and i and i still think we're in the early days of the globalization of financial assets but as investors and ordinary mom-and-pop guys, but I can do it myself, I think it's going to become a bigger and bigger trend because you're not fishing only in a very small pond. You can go and fish for the big tuna fishing all over the world.
0: Thank you. And then here's another question for Magnus from Andrew, and he says, any compelling reason to stand an RA or preservation fund after age 55 when planning to retire at 65?
2: None whatsoever i've been a very strong proponent if you're 55 and you've got any money in a preservation fund or an ra you you convert it or take it out and take out what you can because it stands to reason unless they push up the tax free limits your tax free limit stays the same over time so the minute, the sooner you can get your cash out of the hands and going to invest that somewhere else give it a nice guy like brett and he can trade for you and the balance of your funds goes out of a reg 28 restricted portfolio into a totally 100% unrestricted portfolio and the the outcomes the last five years has been uh, uh, quite fantastic i mean the ra returns i spent some time on one of the major websites last night one of the big insurance companies and i battled to find an ra that did more than four percent over the last four or five years and whereas in the living annuity space i found funds that gave you up to 80 percent my own living annuity last year did 55 so that's what people don't realize and that's, and they will never get this advice from the insurance industry they want to hang on to their assets for as long as they can but from an investment perspective uh, and from an objective advice perspective it makes compelling reason to get your money out reinvested as best you can as quickly as you can
0: Thank you. While we're talking about you digging around on information last night, you sent some very interesting graphs through. I wonder if you want to just uh, talk through those quickly. Uh, there was well, this that,
2: one. Yeah, that that it's not a it's not a Salvador Dali painting or a Rorschach test, but that is um, the net outflow or inflow into the South African stock exchange. Below zero are all the um, outflows, and, below, and on top of these zero are the inflows. So that's over a five-year period. So you'll see in the middle, looks like a little building. That was the inflow of money, foreign money, into our stock market during the Ramaphoria era. But for the rest of the five years, you can see the two legs, left and right, it's just been massive, massive outflows. And I did the numbers, I got the stats yesterday and I did the numbers. The cumulative outflow out of our stock market by foreign investors and whether it's individuals or pension funds is 500 billion rand. 500 billion rand. In fact, over the last two years, the, the outflows have been 300 and seven billion rand. So that's just one of the indicators that I look for when I approach the JSC. And that's a major factor why our market has been so weak. The foreigners have been net sellers of our, our big stocks where they used to be very active retailers, banks, financial services companies. And that is a very strong correlation with these outflows and the very, very poor. Performance of the JSE. I look at these stats every Monday morning and if there is an upturn I'll start looking at it more carefully but so far it's been a bloodbath in terms of foreigners heading elsewhere with their money.
0: Hmm. Are you seeing this as well Brett more people investing offshore or trading more offshore?
1: Yeah I mean sadly uh, we our domestic assets uh, are pretty much flat on five years uh, and within that domestic asset, we've seen a big switch, uh, especially amongst our retail investors, into inward-listed offshore ETFs. So even even the cash that's staying onshore has an offshore element to it. Uh, whereas uh, our offshore platform has grown, you know, fivefold, you know, and there's up to Magnus, kind of numbers like almost fifty percent in the last year alone. Oh. So uh, yeah, sadly the 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 case for the JSC is quite weak at the moment. Uh, look, I, it's not to say that I don't think you, you, you know that uh, you, you can write off the domestic investment, but certainly the appetite uh, is not what it used to be.
0: And then um, Magnus, there's another chart of yours that we've got up here. I don't know if you want to just talk us through that quickly. Your oh, that's
2: that's the the actual the actual returns in rands and in dollars. The top one is rands. The bottom one, the identical. The green line at the bottom over a five-year period with dividends reinvested, you may like 2%, 3% on our market, whereas the emerging markets, which is very interesting, we used to always be ahead of the emerging markets uh, by virtue of our gold and platinum and iron ore, et cetera. They're outpacing us. Those are our peers. We, we we play in their space, and I think it's mainly a, a result of China Playing a bigger and bigger role in the emerging market space, uh, it's still considered an emerging market. And then, if you compare it with the world and, and the S&P 500, I'm not even including the tech stock So, as you invested a million rand five, year go, five years ago in the SA market, you've got 1.2 today. As you put it in the S&P 500, it's about 2.8 million rand. I mean, we're talking about major, major differences in the outcomes. Whether the ransom dollars. And that's what we're talking about. The money's flowing out. The foreigners are heading for the hills. The South Africans are looking elsewhere. And the prognosis is not great if you look at the charts. You can do them over one year or five years or seven years. So if you still believe, like you still do get certain commentators who are saying, I'm not taking my money anywhere and I'm a true South African, well, that's fine, but you're going to get poor. You're gonna get poor relative to the returns the foreigners are making, and you're not gonna be growing your money to be capital. And a lot of South Africans are waking up to this fact that our market is in a bad space for various reasons, mostly political and and then of course economical reasons. And we've got things like Eskom, which is I think overlooked many forecasts. And why I play around and I show people this is, and, and I'm not criticizing, I'm just commentating. Our local fund managers, with all due respect to them, keep on telling us how cheap our market is, how cheap our market is, but it's, there's just nothing happening. It's, and uh, I think ordinary retail investors need to know the facts about our market, which is not very great at the moment.
0: Thank you. Quite depressing, but also quite a powerful argument for diversifying offshore. Um, Brett, James wants to know, how much do you need to invest abroad? Could he invest a grand a month in overseas investment? So if you want to start building a share portfolio, what's the minimum you would need ideally to make make things make sense for you?
1: Yeah, so there's no minimum uh, and there's no monthly account fees. Uh, that where you're going to run into some issues is when you uh, do a small trade, there's minimum brokerages that apply. Uh, so in our instance, it's uh, $20. So, you know, you could quite happily build up your thousand rand a month uh, and, you know, then maybe do one transaction a year or, you know, build up into a slightly larger amount. So I don't think it's the it's case of the quantum. If I was looking to build up offshore exposure, uh, and I wanted to invest uh, a small amount uh, on a monthly basis. We do have uh, numerous products here in South Africa uh, that are, you know, that are a lower cost entry, uh, and then they'll give you your offshore exposure, but in Rands to the S and P 500 or to the, you know, the FTSE 100. So there's 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 lots of mechanisms. So I'd encourage you just to go past uh, our website and just have a look at the different uh, products that are available and see the one that's most tailored towards you. But there's no there's no impediment to going offshore, but just realise that you want to build up slightly larger amounts before you do uh, transactions because you don't want to pay too much as a percentage in brokerage.
0: Magnus, what's the minimum for your clients to go offshore?
2: You know, we tend to um, to, to really take money offshore. We, we kind of deal with a, a million rand or more, but we assist our smaller clients by guiding them to the cheaper, even a, small, a little as 500 rand a month. You can get 100% exposure to great global funds, uh, and there are many of them, I'm not going to name them, that have been growing at between 15 and 20% for five years and more. And that's, that's a very nice breeding ground for people to get into it. I started doing this for my children when they were a little bit smaller, and I would sit with them and show them their statement, and I would pull out a fun fact sheet, of one of the funds that I've used, for instance, um, global macro fund, for instance, uh, uh, and I will show them, you know darling, you got you are invested in Apple and look at your cell phone. it's an apple phone and netflix and, and 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 Google, and it's also an educational tool for young people, and that money adds up over years, and especially for grandparents who got grandkids, sign a debit order, forget about it. The compounding effect and also the educational aspect will kick in over time. And my my, my children, all of them, have become very actively involved in the, in the investments and they often ask, come and ask me very difficult questions. Why is this happening or why is that not happening? So a lack of money or even a lack of knowledge should not stop you. There are many products <coughs> that you can use and if you go onto the internet, you do that.
0: Thank you. Uh, Arnold wants to know, do you see any chance that the performance of the JSE may improve over the next 12 months? Brett, do you have a view on that?
1: Well, if you'd asked me that a couple of months ago, I'd say, oh, there's, there's some potential. But I mean, we're sitting in this tabletop, right? So you even take COVID out the equation, the, the JSE has been flat and in a in sideways movement for, well, better part of five years. And until it can convincingly break out of that, uh, I see no reason why it's not going to keep moving sideways. And to Magnus's point, when you're constantly seeing cash being withdrawn from the system uh, and moving offshore, you're naturally going to have a bit of an issue. And we're also going to see that as people are reducing their overall investments uh, here in South Africa, that that drawdown and that new cash is going to be less. So uh, and t- unless I saw a strong break up through the band, uh, I'm not overly confident. So I'm not particularly bearish, but I see it as a as a range-bound trade, sort of, you know, uh, between, uh, on the on all-show the anywhere between like 50 and 60-odd thousand. And it's not showing any signs of getting out of there. I mean, we're still very much back into this, the band that we were in pre-COVID.
0: Thank you. And um, session, and I think this is probably a question for Magnus, uh, says, what are those companies offering LA's with a hundred percent offshore exposure? I don't know if you can name them or
2: one or two. Yes, I okay. can. Okay, I don't. I don't mind. It's um, at the moment we found that most companies have, have some have restrictions, um, but uh, Signia has got hundred percent exposure. Ninety one has, Momentum has, and more recently Alan Gray. I've been quite critical of Alan Gray in the past because they restricted the offshore exposure to 25% three or four years ago, and I found that ridiculous, but they have since increased it to 100%. Um, so you have to ask. There are certain companies who don't have 100%, and they're restricted to 50 or 75 My advice would be just to go somewhere else, because I think I agree with Brett. My view on the JSC is not positive. All the other factors that we know, plus Eskom, uh, that's now, again, a massive factor, it's like an, I, I, I always describe Eskom as an additional tax on all consumers and all companies in South Africa, which their counterparts in the world don't have. And, and that depresses profits, it depresses consumers spending, it depresses consumer sentiment. And I don't really see a, a, a kickstart for profits in the current environment. And, th- and therefore, we will find better value elsewhere.
0: Thank you. And Michael wants to know, what are the tax implications if I use an offshore trading platform? Brett, do you get involved in the tax details of your clients? Do you have some broad brushstroke uh, tips for them?
1: Look, so ultimately uh, you're going to be – so it depends on like a number of things, but you know once you start stepping into offshore regimes like the U.S., there are different uh, tax implications in terms of dividend tax, and you need to fill in things like uh, W-8-BEN forms uh, so that you don't pay uh, 30% tax because there's a, there's a tax agreement. So that's a little bit of extra paperwork that you need to do. In terms of the capital gains, uh, you'll, you'll translate it back into rand, uh, RAND price in, RAND price out and then you'll pay capital gains tax as per normal. Uh, Other things that you want to be aware of, uh, so you want to do a little bit of homework, is the potential for CITES tax, uh, because there's estate duty taxes that sit in the UK and the US, so you would just want to be sure that uh, where you sit inside of those. But in terms of the principles around tax, are very similar to trading here in South Africa, with just an extra few bits and pieces that you need to be aware of. Thank
2: you. If I may just just add there, um, on, on certain jurisdictions, uh where we invest money there's no dividends tax because we use what we call roll up funds. So there's no dividend declaration. So there's no dividend tax. And and, and interest and you and you can put it into a, a, a life wrapper where your your capital gains tax is reduced to twelve percent and payable by the wrapper. So there are ways to minimize it. And lastly very interesting that on the offshore platforms your administration and advisory fees are not vettable. So there's no vet on that. So it's actually a little bit cheaper to invest in the offshore space if you compare and for and South Africa versus offshore. The offshore markets are actually cheaper than most South African products.
0: Very interesting. And it also reminds us how complicated it can be to go offshore. You've got many considerations from the tax to the, you know, different jurisdictions have different
2: uh, rules. Yes, it, gets, it does get complicated, and uh, especially if people have money in multi-jurisdictional areas. So a bit of money in Switzerland, then in the UK, and 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 and, and, and uh, also the US. They all have their own different uh, applications of tax law. So in in certain cases, you need to be very very careful what you do. Uh, for instance, having too much money in the US, you get slaughtered there same with uh, the uk so you need tax advice especially when it comes to larger amounts of money
0: thank you Uh, brett you were wanting to add something there
1: yeah for anyone that's concerned about uh, offshore tax and doesn't want to go through you know the rigmarole of kind of getting up to speed on it my suggestion is very simply is that you buy an inward listed uh ran based uh, offshore etf over the s p 500 or over the, the FTSE 100 and then you're subject to all the normal tax rules here in South Africa, and you've got uh, something that tracks in RANDs exactly what's happening in those markets. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So this kind of ties in with Zukisa's question. Uh, Zukisa says, what is the best option for offshore exposure between RAND-denominated feeder funds or dollar-denominated funds? Uh, Magnus, could you just clarify that for Zukisa?
2: Do you mind just repeating that, Jackie? Um,
0: sure. So, Zakisa wants to know what is the best option for offshore exposure between a rand-denominated feeder fund or dollar-denominated funds?
2: You probably will get exactly the same exposure from sitting in South Africa. There are differences between the two types of funds, but in the end, at the end, um, you as the investor won't notice the difference. You'll probably get the same exposure and the same growth. So certain companies have feeder funds and other companies have a uh, dollar-based fund listed in South Africa. But the net result is the same. You need to go and look in the product, what is your offshore exposure? That will tell you what your exposure is. But I think the net result is the same.
0: Thank you. Um, And then Vanessa says, uh, again, following up on your earlier comment, Magnus, she says, what is a roll-up fund, please? So perhaps you could just elaborate a little more on what a roll-up fund is.
2: It's just a mechanism whereby the fund managers offshore, they they don't actually declare dividends like they do in South Africa on a certain date. So any kind of profits that they generate are simply used to buy more units automatically in the fund itself. Those are the accumulation funds. That is the type of funds that you invest in. You have other funds where they will declare a dividend, but you you try and avoid that. In South Africa, you can't do it. The dividends that they earn are declared, and you get a statement that said, this fund at X percent in dividends, and here is your statement. That has to be included in your taxable income. It's just a small little thing, which over time does make uh, quite a lot of difference.
0: Thank you. And we've got time for two more questions. So um, Hink has a question here for Brett. Any comments about SA bank shares? Any chance of recovery anytime soon? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, given that I work for a bank, <laughs> <Yes.
0: laughs>
1: um, Look, I mean, the SA bank shares obviously uh, are, are a call on on the SA market, right? Uh, we know that that's going to be under pressure. I mean, we can see that in the price. Um, I think in terms of uh, why a lot of people would buy SA banks is because of the dividend yields that they've historically been able to pay out. The concern would be going forward, you know, is how long until we see normal resumption of dividends. So in terms of where we see the, the, the banking sector level now, I think there's value in it. Uh, and I think that uh, if one is willing to take a 12, 18 month view, they are at quite attractive valuations. But if we go into a protracted uh, recession, uh, you know that we've seen that the bank's earnings have been really, really under pressure, so whilst there's value there, I don't see it as a short term spec buy uh, but I do think that if you if you're patient uh, and as normal dividends resume uh that there that there is a, a reasonable amount of upside definitely uh you know a, a greater than inflation amount of
2: upside.
0: Magnus, do you have a view on bank stocks?
2: Well, there's always a chance that they might surprise on the upside because most of the banks have have, have um, made my provision for bad debts and if they were over conservative and the provisions were perhaps too much and the results come out showing that it's not so bad then there might be a positive reaction in the sense that they over provided so the things are not that bad but the other side of the coin is if the next set of results come out showing that the provisions were understated uh, You will have a very negative reaction to the market so it's a very difficult call because the economic numbers that we are talking about are so fluid so uncertain i mean the economists are scrambling to try and find out what is the state of the economy and the dispersion between in forecasts for the economy for consumer expenditure is so great at the moment when they say to you the gdp might be minus 10 to 20 now that is a massive dispersion in forecasts which flows right through to the banks and uh, that's where the uncertainty lies so i would as a spec buy i would not uh, i would not go there for a while until we know how bad the financial damage is to the south african uh, consumer
1: as 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 a, a, a rule of thumb when i when i first started in the broken game I was always told, buy banks on Ps of under 10 and sell them on Ps of 15. Uh, And they're sitting comfortably under 10 at the moment. But I I, I tend to agree with uh, Magnus completely that it isn't a speculative opportunity.
0: That's quite interesting. Magnus described the JSC a couple of weeks back as an investment graveyard. So does that mean it's a good time to pick up some bargains? Magnus, what do you think?
2: I don't see the bargains yet. I wish I could find bargains, you know, if I would, and I could make money for my clients, you know. Um, I'm starting to nibble, you might fall off your chair, I'm starting to nibble on some of the value funds that we have in South Africa. Um, Pitfall Yun's value fund is the counterpoint value fund. It's starting to show signs of outperformance. So we started putting money in there for certain types of clients on the basis that. There might be a rotation from growth stocks to value stocks, but it needs that trend needs to be confirmed. It's it's early days yet, and if the sell-off in the state gets you know accelerates and picks up on speed, I think there might be a bit of a reversion back to value stocks, and then a fund like the Counterpoint Value Fund or the 91 Value Fund will uh, kick into gear and start. Uh, so I'm I'm, I'm a little bit in that space. But for the rest, I'm avoiding financials or retailers and um and and um, anything linked to the consumer at this stage, because I said earlier, COm is going to hurt very badly, especially if they succeed in in, in getting away with increasing their tariffs by twenty five percent per annum over the next three years, which they say they need to remain solvent so um that's that's the, the caveat of my forecast
0: thank you and then andrew has this question for brett uh, as fiat currencies continue to de- to devalue because of qe what are your thoughts on investing in bitcoin as a hedge against us dollar or other major currencies that's sure. his question so,
1: <laughs> i'm obviously too old as so you know uh <laughs> Gold is my bitcoin, so you know when I, when i 'm uh, very nervous about fiat currencies i you know i see i see the, the the case for the technology behind bitcoin the blockchain technology I think is amazing uh, if i 'm concerned about uh, you know eroding uh, fiat currencies, I prefer gold as an option, but that 's you know more generational in, in my case i don 't understand bitcoin enough, and there 's a there's a there's too much hype behind it for my personal liking so i avoid it but not to say that uh you know it's something that can be overlooked completely
0: okay magnus what's your view on bitcoin
2: i've heard people speak about it what is it what are you talking about
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay well let's end up on that i actually
2: actually share brett's opinion 100 i i just cannot get my head around bitcoin uh, I, I don't trust it. I, I would not sleep well at night knowing my assets are somewhere in a computer, somewhere, uh, and, and someone can hack it and it disappear. Or power cuts. I like. I would like. I would. I would have gold as my as my Bitcoin. It's a very good way to put it, Brett. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you very much, uh, Magnus Hestad from Brenthurst Wealth Management, and Brett Duncan of Standard Bank. Uh, and uh, if anybody has any questions, please do send them through to us, and we'll see you same time next week. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Jackie. Good weekend. Cheers, Greg. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Magnus. Ciao, ciao.